Hello and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the podcast. We're happy to have Brian Boyer from Bikes and Bites Minneapolis in the virtual studio with us. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited to learn about what you are doing with your organization and the initiatives that you've taken. But, you know, as we get to know uh, more about the organization, it's always helpful to know uh, a little bit about you. And so uh, maybe you can take us through a little bit of your uh, history with, with bikes and cycling and maybe start at the very beginning. Do you remember your first bike? I do. I don't know what the bike was. I know it was black and red. I know... It was the same bike that had training wheels, and I think I had it from the time I was four or five till I was 11 years old. So wow. um, I have a lot of memories of cruising the neighborhood on that one. <laughs> could, could you even sit down and not have your knees hit your shoulders? <laughs> probably not, no. I probably looked very awkwardly towards the end, biking around the neighborhood. Maybe the neighbors had pity um, and maybe gave me something else, or I guess not, but... Yeah, I do. I do. I do remember that bike quite a bit. Taking on that yeah, up jumps. <laughs> that's one of the one of the the rites of passage, right? Going off sweet jumps. <laughs> Absolutely, sweet jumps, big curbs, tree tree uh, tree roots in the sidewalk, whatever you can find that can get your big air. There you go. <laughs> and and did you did you continue uh, cycling as you as you gotten into junior high and high school as well? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I grew up in the city of Minneapolis, and uh, I, I was never really a person who had a car. So cycling was always my way of getting around. I vividly remember like cycling out to Eden Prairie to meet up with people in, in high school. And, wow. and uh, I was always the kid on the bike who just didn't think it was weird that that was the only way you got around anywhere. So I got a job when I was 12. That's when I bought my first bike that I bought. That was the Schwinn Moab. I do remember that well. Ooh. Uh, had some shocks on it. I thought that was cool. Uh, yeah. I've done that for a very long time. But I've always, I don't think there's ever been a period in my life where I didn't have a bike that I was riding. Do you have a particular bike, either one that you own today or one that you owned in the past that you'd consider your favorite? Solid question. Um, I've never had nice bikes, so it doesn't stand out for that reason. Um, there was definitely something satisfying at 12 years old about getting a job and buying my first bike. Um, mm -hmm. But I had a six-gear Raleigh track bike when I was in my mid-20s, and I definitely had the most fun on that bike. So that one would probably stand out. That's awesome. Did you uh, did you ride that pretty con uh, pretty regularly? I rode that bike year round. It was the dumbest thing I've ever done. It had the tiniest little road tires on it, and I was out there in January commuting um, to the University of Minnesota. Um, I don't know how I lived through that winter, but uh, absolutely every minute I could be on the bike, I was. That's fantastic. I can't even imagine riding a skinny tire fixie in the winter around here with all the ice that gets built up. That's that's impressive. Yeah, now when I try to just, you know, ride with with non-skinny tires, non-knobby tires in the winter, I have an anxiety <laughs> attack, so I can't believe that it used to just be the norm. Yeah, I uh, I had a similar thing when I was in high school. I had a I had a junior high and, and early high school. I had a paper route, and I would ride my my Schwinn. Uh, I think it was a Varsity uh, on my paper route, 
carrying, you know, a hundred newspapers in a canvas bag and, uh, and I just rode it through every snowbank I could find. And now I've got to have the fat bike all the time. <laughs> when you don't know any better, you do a lot of dumber things. Also, I wasn't so afraid of getting injured then too. Right. Cause you're bulletproof when you're that age. <laughs> That's all I think about is uh, medical bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> getting injured. Yeah. Getting old is sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so what uh, what kind of riding do you do today? I mean, other than you know the work that you're doing, what uh, what kind of riding do you typically do today? Uh, today I do very little outside of bikes and bites, which is not unfortunate because I'm always on my bike. Um, my favorite thing I like to ride at night. Uh, I just got the opportunity a couple of days ago. It's been a, a month or two since I got like a solid nighttime bike riding session. I like to go alone. I like to go as fast as possible um, and just listen to my music on my portable speaker and just cruise through the evening all alone. That's definitely my favorite place to be in. That's fantastic. Do you, uh, do you have a particular uh, favorite destination either here in town or, or elsewhere that you've ridden? No, um, I, I really like the creek a lot. Uh, there's a certain area of the creek that is by far my favorite. Unfortunately, right in my favorite place of the creek, me and my daughter had an accident a few weeks ago, and she oh, fell no. and pretty horrifically broke her leg. So, oh, no. Uh, yeah, she's doing all right, but it, it uh, it's going to have some long-lasting effects on where my favorite part of Minneapolis to bike through is because that was dead in the center of that. But uh, yeah. I like to to get into curvy places that you can kind of have some fun, go fast and fly around. Do you have a, a bucket list of places you want to ride at some point in your life? One of my uh, things I like to do is bike in other cities. I, I, I don't mind long distance biking, but I like biking in larger cities and like seeing what bike commuting is like for other people. Mm -hmm. um, that might be really lame, but it's something I like to do other people's commutes uh, in my free time. So <laughs> I would like to just continue to, you know, all around the world, get the opportunity to go on bikes in cities and just see what the infrastructure is, just see what other people go through, uh, and get to experience what normal bike riding is like for them. That's a that's a good goal, and you know I've had the opportunity to see a number of different cities, and it varies so drastically from the uh, you're taking your life in your own hands to this is luxurious. So it's definitely worth. I'm a big fan out. of the luxurious. Yeah, I like when it's uh, I like when the infrastructure is set up for cycling. It's not as fun fearing for your own life in another country on a bicycle because you yeah. literally don't know what happens if somebody hits you and the rear guard right that. yeah <laughs> yeah i'll never forget uh, the first time uh, i was in holland and uh saw a bike traffic jam when there was literally empty uh car lanes it was the craziest thing <laughs> See, that's my that would be my happy place that would that's one traffic jam i would be very happy to be a part of indeed indeed uh well it's it's great to get a sense of of who you are because it obviously informs the, uh, the work that you're doing uh you're passionate about about bikes and have been for for your whole life it seems um talk a little bit about bikes and bites and and what you what you're doing with the organization so Bikes and Bites is an organization that's intended 
to do a couple things, but our main goal that, that we work towards is to have people look for areas that they can implement regular giving in their life. And whether that's with us or it's through another organization or what it is, we just want people to take the time to take a step back and look and appreciate the privileges that they have and then look for ways that they can use the opportunity that they have to help other people in need. Uh, we do that through donations for the most part uh, and muscle. So uh, we get a lot of donations from our neighbors. Uh, we're encouraging people every time they go to the grocery store to grab a few extra items. Uh, right when the uprising was happening in Minneapolis, people were really big into going out and buying hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, but we're trying to create sustainable giving where instead of spending $100 one time, if you spent $15 every time you went to the grocery store and just got in the habit of regularly grabbing a few extra things. Uh, and then what we do with that is we compile those with community captains, which are just leaders that are based throughout communities in Minneapolis. They take, you know, those four or five items from a few different of their neighbors, and they reach out to us, and then we come and we pick those up on bicycles. Um, typically, it goes from, like, somebody's house to our headquarters, which is just a fancy way of saying my garage. Um, and then we'll bring them back to the garage and we compile the donations. We, um, you know, we organize them and then uh, create um, deliveries. So people on bikes come pick them up from our garage and then um, distribute them throughout the city. So we work closely with organizations that are based out of the communities you know, throughout Minneapolis. Uh, we're working right now with a lot of um, various encampments and parks throughout our city and closely with the, uh, you know, the folks who are living in those encampments and, and finding out their needs and then going back and grabbing what they need and, and supplying them that. Uh, and we're starting to get into the bike delivery business or like just, just being the muscle portion of it. So working with other organizations to move their goods. Huh. Today we had the opportunity to deliver a lot of stuff for an awesome organization called Defend Glendale that's working to defend public housing for citizens of Minneapolis. So we were able to bring um, like PPE around to a lot of different people throughout the city. So they packed, they created, and then we showed up with eight cyclists with various types of trailers behind us and then dropped those off at different places throughout the city. So uh, we're evolving as we're going, but our main functionality is looking for those regular donations and working with organizations. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it seems like it's become a very uh, complex and, and well-defined organization in a relatively short period of time. What was, uh, what was your initial inspiration for the program? Uh, the initial inspiration was, uh, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, um, I just biked to think. So I got on my bike and I headed out. Um, and I was taking in everything that was happening in our city. And the thing that I just kept seeing over and over again was you know, community organizations that were coming out and who were asking for help. So they were our inspiration. They have been there. They've been doing this work. And it's kind of embarrassing in these moments to be like, what have I been doing? And why did it take you know, a man being slowly murdered on videotape for, to give us that kick in the ass that we needed to get out and to do things? So... Um, you know, the inspiration was people have been here all along. They've been doing this all along. Um, you're just figuring this out now. And so it was really like, a, let's get this thing going. Let's get and let's support. Let's do what we can and let's see how we can lift up or help, you know, not lift up at all, but, you know, help support people who have been there and how we can we make their jobs easier. 
you know, what can we do that can make our donations easier when they get there? Um, so that, that was kind of the initial inspiration that, that got this thing rolling. And then I'd come back to my neighborhood and I'd just, you know, tell everybody on my block what I saw, all the organizations, what they need. And it just started with neighbors bringing stuff to our house and coworkers bringing stuff to, to our house and us just moving it. And then that kind of slowly evolved over time into formalizing it, utilizing social media, creating roles on our team of roles and responsibilities for what we're going to do, and then um, really starting to build relationships in our community to get people to be able to help us out. What did, what did it take to get it off the ground initially? I mean, obviously, it's just a lot of sweat equity uh, to, at the very beginning, but what were, as you crystallized the idea of the structure and the organization and so on, what, what, was, what were some of the key stepping stones for you? Well, I mean, um, for me, it was a lot of sweat, but that was the easy part because I was just literally biking stuff places. Mm -hmm. um, so really it was, um, you know, my partners, my spouse, uh, and our sister who, uh, or my sister-in-law who, um, who, who really stepped up to help me with the organization. So otherwise, it's just me biking stuff on an ask-me basis, and that's about as much organization as I have. If something's mm -hmm. in front of me, I'll move it to another place. Mm -hmm. So it started with just uh, my spouse and my sister-in-law. They stepped in, took over social media, created the website uh, with some other of our family. Uh, we're able to really start to organize and formalize this. And then uh, it, we met the right people right away. And we met the right people in our neighborhood who were fired up, who were also looking for a way to get back, who were passionate about the things that we were interested in. And, and, and that's really when it took off is when it wasn't just you know, me or any of the three of us um, in the official organization when it really started to be this community-led, community-directed um, group of people coming together, and the word really started to spread at that point. How many active volunteers do you have right now? Uh, it's a really good question for somebody other than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have definitely over 100. So, wow. um our biggest number that we got is cyclists. And that was my biggest surprise throughout all of this. Like I enjoy painful cycling. I enjoy biking with a trailer full of weight, stopping at stop signs. And I, in my head, it was like, am I the only person that is kind of like a masochist in this way when it comes to cycling or are there other people out there as well? Um, and I always knew there was long distance bicyclists and mountain bicyclists and like crazy things that I'm never interested in, but I knew this was like a weird area and our call went out right away and cyclists came from everywhere to come help us and without that it would have fizzled out by this point because it would have just been me or me and one other person so we've had this core group of cyclists who you can call uh, like for our, our thing that we put together today uh just like call kind of last minute like, hey can you make it out i need you to bike 28 miles with me with a trailer dragging behind you stopping wow. going every few blocks and wow. um, we have a, a, a huge group of people who are willing to chip in, people who've never had trailers behind their bikes before who are willing to strap one on for us and, uh, and haul 50 pounds. So um, that has been impressive uh, right away from day one. And so how has the structure of the organization evolved to handle all of the work that these folks are doing? <laughs> 
Uh, we just fly by the seat of our pants all the time, really, right now. Um, you know, I rely on people reaching out to me. I rely on people wanting to be proactive with this. You know, the organization is, is it, it, you know, it's it, again, it's me, myself, and my sister-in-law who are, like, doing the day-to-day -day social media, answering the emails, getting out, and talking to people. But what's really evolved is the people who've fallen into these, uh, you know, part of our community and in a role of leadership who are knocking on doors, who are stopping people on the street, telling them about what we're doing. Uh, you know, I, we've got people who are just really passionate about this, and, um, and they're really falling into the place that we needed. And then we have a lot of people who are calling me on a regular basis just saying, hey, can I come grab stuff out of the garage? And that allows us to just every day we have somebody coming in and taking stuff out, and we're constantly, you know, things are coming in and going and coming and going. And, and so um, we look to formalize this more as we go forward. We're looking to get a board of directors. You know, we're looking to formalize more positions. But for right now, we're just trying to do as much as we can as quick as possible and just make sure that we're there to, uh, to help out our community. It, it seems as though this could be quickly, if it hasn't already, taking over your, your regular life. <laughs> yeah, I have a job. Uh, I have another job that I still have to do. Um, and so it is, it's taking over every free minute. And, you know, um, like there's nothing I'd rather do in the world, though, and it, particularly because my role is to move stuff. Like the way that I see it is come for a bike ride with me. Let me tell you our story. You know, come see the people that we're, you know, that we're going down to donate these goods to. Come, you know, mm -hmm. see the people who are bringing the stuff in. So my role has always been just move, move, move. So I can take this all day. Um, you know, I'm getting out four or five hours a day um, on the bike. But wow. it's certainly draining on on my family, you know, and, uh, and my wife who answers emails all day long. So uh, it's adding up, but everybody's so passionate, we just keep plugging away, and, and the exhaustion doesn't really sit in until the end of the night when we're all done, and that's a perfect time to, to wind down. How have you been recruiting volunteers? It sounds like you've gotten a huge group of people to help you already. Yeah, we've gotten, um, well, so social media, it was our start. Um, you know, it, it, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, Nextdoor, uh, we utilized to get that initial community engagement. And so we're getting a lot of people who are stepping up from that, from, especially from Instagram. Uh, our newspaper article didn't hurt, and we had a lot of people come out from that. Today I had three new cyclists show up and ride with us on our ride today, again, 20 five miles or 20 plus miles that all had read the Star Tribune article and had reached out. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, our biggest source and actually like our most successful source is really word of mouth. And that's what we look for everybody to do is like go back and tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, like, Hey, I did this thing that was cool today and, and invite them with you next time. Because once people come out and they see the group, they see how much we can move. At our first event, we moved almost 800 pounds of goods all on bikes. Wow. Um, it, 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 we're looking to create something contagious, and, and we're feeling like we're hitting that, and a lot of that is just bring, bring a friend. Everybody bring a friend. Have them come out with you. And then we've had a lot where somebody came along you know, on one event, and then the next event they're bringing a new friend with, with them. So uh, our events continue to get larger and continue to grow, and, and word of mouth is really working really well. What, uh, what kinds of events have you been hosting? 
So we try to do an event every two weeks where we choose a particular organization. Uh, so we've done com um, community emergency services, alone. Uh, we're doing the Grease Pit this Friday. Uh, we did a Minneapolis um, Kids uh, School Supplies Drive. So, uh, and all of our events have been um, suggested by our community. So whether somebody works in this organization or works with them or saw something online, yeah, every event that we've done, has somebody else has brought it to us and said, hey, this is cool. Would you consider this? And so every two weeks, at minimum, we try to do a large group event where we all meet, we ride together, we get to meet other people um, and get to know other people who are passionate about the same things, and then we all collectively bring these very large group donations down, drop them off, and then get the opportunity also to see these organizations that are in our community uh, and the work that they're doing, and particularly looking for you know, neighborhoods that people typically don't go to on their bikes, neighborhoods that people typically don't go to in Minneapolis, unfortunately, we, we live in a very segregated city, and a lot of people don't get the opportunity to go to some of these other neighborhoods and see the businesses and see the organizations that are working. So that's a great byproduct of this is just getting people more in touch with the city that they live in. And it's, it's amazing. You know, the, one of the things that I all, on every ride I go on, even if I've been there a uh, hundred times, I always find something different than I would see if I'm driving through in a car. Absolutely, 100%. And we try to go different ways in each way so people can get to experience, uh, you know, different parts of the city. But you get the opportunity to take it in. And then a lot of this is seeing it through other people's eyes. So things that I never would have noticed, but, you know, somebody else in the group ride points out um, that also kind of opens your eyes to the way that other people view the city as they ride on their bikes as well, which is incredible to see because I do this as mostly a solo event, so it's very Brian-centric. Mm -hmm. It's great to see other people's interpretations of what's happening around them. Yeah, and in, in some ways, I, I have to imagine that you and, and maybe some of your volunteers are starting to think differently about their bike and the way they get around the city on the bike through some of these events and activities. You know, a big part of this is... Um, we are, we are based out of southwest Minneapolis, and you know, in, we, we recognize the privilege that we have just living in this neighborhood, but then most of us, the privileges from where we've come from our experiences in life. And one thing that I really try to talk to people about with this is, you know, today we are biking good somewhere. And this is a very, like, even this is, still, we have nice bikes, we have trailers that function, you know, mm -hmm. like, we're able to bring our bikes in for tune-ups, so... Now imagine, you know, doing this every day. You don't get to go to the grocery store. You have to ride your bike. But then you don't have a bike. Now you're walking and you're riding the bus. And many people on these trips with us, they have always had cars. They've always had convenience. They've always had, they've always had these things. So showing them and talking through, like, think about what we're bringing today compared to what you pick up on every grocery trip, like how much effort it is today that we're putting into moving these on bikes, and this is your everyday occurrence. So our next step that we're looking to do is encourage people to stop using their car one day a week. Just start with one day a week, but not to not use your car because you don't have anything going on. But like if you have to go somewhere, bike there, walk there. I mean, once mm -hmm. post COVID, we hope people take the bus there. But like really like, get in touch with your city, but also get in touch with how so many people you know, have to do these regular everyday tasks without the convenience of having a car. Mm-hmm. You've, 
sort of it sounds like shifted gears a little bit in terms of the groups that you work with. Um, you started out kind of picking out community organizations, but then you started going to some of the encampments, and now it sounds like with these events you're starting to work again with larger organizations. How do you decide or how do you develop the relationships with those community partners or the destinations that you take the, the goods to? Uh, so, again, a lot of our like events take place because they're uh, recommended by somebody in our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are easy. Those come to me where, <laughs> where it's just like, hey, here's a date. Can you show up? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but a lot of it's been utilizing um, social media, which is the pain of my existence, but I understand is fundamental for you know, everything that we're doing. So mm-hmm. you know, one thing right away that, that I did personally is, is you know, every activist, every person that's involved in the city, follow them, and then follow the trails of who they're working with, and then just constantly reaching out and just saying, hey, here's who we are. We'd love to help you. What we've mm-hmm. found is a really positive response to just something different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something of uh, people believe in cutting down on the reliance of cars, getting more cars off of our streets, and mm-hmm. so people are really encouraged by what we're doing. What we've also found is we constantly have to be like, it's not too much weight, it's not too much stuff, like, no, <laughs> we don't need a car, like, we're doing this intentionally, Right. Um, and, and people are always, I think when, when we talk over the phone or through email, people always imagine like four people with backpacks showing up in the parking right. lot. Like, all right, mm-hmm. come on down. We're ready for you whenever, like whatever. And I think they're pleasantly surprised when we show up with, you know, um, hundreds of pounds yeah. of donation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it kind of blows their mind of what's possible also without, uh, without relying on cars and trucks. Mm-hmm. What uh, what has been the path as far as developing those relationships, and now are you starting to get regular, consistent, here's what we need kind of lists from people? Um, yeah, we have some organizations where we work with on that regular, here's what we need. Um, we're trying to loop back with places that we've went to previously. We're also trying to cultivate new relationships, so it's like the struggle between that. Uh, as far as the parks go, um, the parks, uh, you know, the encampments that are placed throughout our city, they do have um, lists that you can find online on what they need. But what we found that, that I like to do is, is pack the trailers full of just a variety of stuff. You know, typically it's a lot of hygiene supplies, non-perishable mm-hmm. goods, water, socks, underwear, and then kind of cruise through the parks, get to know the people who are there, you know, um, take some of the stuff that we brought, but then also start to compile lists and then send somebody back the next day. So mm-hmm. we're looking to build a lot more personal relationships, you know, um, with these encampments, particularly some of the ones that are uh, a little bit more off the beaten path or not so visible from the roads where mm-hmm. we're not getting all the regular traffic of people bringing stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's that's been, our past two weeks has been a lot, a lot, a lot of that. Have uh, have you experienced some challenges as they have shifted the locations and you know moved a lot of people out of Powderhorn and so on? Um, I mean, not beyond just the challenges of, of watching some of that happen. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was challenging to see you know the city just completely destroy the tents, all the stuff you know that people have have gathered. I mean mm-hmm. that that it's been challenging to watch and be a part of the city and see that happening. But um, I mean, we that's a big benefit of being on a bike is you can just say, hey, somebody, 
do you want to go for a 15, 20 mile bike ride with me? And we're just going to intentionally go by as many larger pike parks in South Minneapolis and see if you know anybody else has been set up. And there's a lot of other places mm-hmm. as well that aren't official parks along the greenway, you know, and just kind of stop and talk to people, hear their story, hear their needs. And so we've been able to kind of track and, and, and keep an eye on, on where people are moving and, uh, mm-hmm. and be able to provide them with as much help as we possibly can give them. What, uh, what kinds of obstacles have you come up against so far? I mean, what are some of the things that you've been challenged by? Uh, time's always a challenge. I wish that there was more time <laughs> in every day to get more done. Uh, we're always challenged by people who want to drive things in their car, and mm-hmm. I get that you know they don't have bikes and they want to be a part of this and they want to feel engaged. But we mm-hmm. we really really want to cut down our uses of cars in our organization as much as we possibly can. And so it's just convincing mm-hmm. people like I know you live ten miles away from me and this is not convenient for me to bike, but intentionally I'm going to get on my bike and I'm going to come to you as opposed mm-hmm. to having you drive your car over to me. That is our biggest obstacle, is just convincing people that, like, we really don't mind doing it. Please, like, let us let us bike. We want to do that yeah. for a specific reason. The, the bike is right in the name, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And people just say, again, they just want to wanna give in any way they can. They want to they wanna be involved. And, and so we're looking for more opportunities to to get people on bikes. Uh, we're looking to get people on those nice ride e-bikes as much as we can, too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, hey, you might not be comfortable on a full bike ride, but I will bike an e-ride over to your house, and it'll make it a little bit easier. So mm-hmm. uh, that's our obstacle now is convincing the people who think that they can't make it on a bike ride with us, that, like, we do go pretty slow. We, you know, we have sh- slower specific bike rides for that reason, shorter mm-hmm. distances. Like, just come out and ride with us. It'll be pretty fun. What... Uh and that was one of the things that came to my mind initially too was you know well i i would love to participate on a bike but i don't have a trailer do you have trailers that uh other people can use and attach to their their existing bikes yeah we do um so we've uh um <laughs> my wife is not happy about the amount of trailers that i'm starting to compile in our house right now uh but we absolutely have enough I think today we had five people who use somebody else's trailer. So whether that's one that's in my garage mm-hmm. or somebody else that's a part of our group, uh, we have a lot of people with extra trailers. Then the other thing that I think a big, um, and this is, this is our fault, we've got to get this around, is like you don't have to have a trailer. It's a big misconception that we need you to have a trailer. We need you to tow 50 pounds, uh, you know, 80 pounds worth of goods. You know, coming mm-hmm. and showing up with a backpack and filling your backpack full of stuff uh, you know, we've got some panniers that were donated to us from Banjo Brothers, which is so awesome and generous by nice. them. Um, so we can, you know, if we can get people hooked up with it. We can take a back rack off somebody else's bike and put it on somebody else's and put some bags on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if people just show to support us so they don't feel comfortable carrying anything on their back, mm-hmm. but they just want to come for a bike ride, bring some donations down. Somebody else will carry them for you. Come for the ride with us. Don't let there be any barriers to you coming out and uh, and and joining us for a ride. What does uh, what does one of those rides look like? I mean, what time do you typically start out, and how long are the rides, and what can people expect? They're, they're different all the time. Unfortunately, most of them are during weekdays. Most of the organizations we work with are working a nine to five as well, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. We're looking to add more weekend and evening rides, and we use the evenings a lot to go to the parks throughout the city. 
but we really talk to the person and personalize. So if you write me and you say, like, hey, I'm an avid cyclist, I can ride for forever, strap a trailer on the back of me, let's see how much I can handle, then, you know, we'll, we'll go out for a 25-mile ride with 50, 60 pounds on the back of that thing and work our way around the city. A lot mm-hmm. of our group rides are 10 miles or less, um, mm-hmm. and, and just so that they're more welcoming for everybody to be able to come out there. But we have a ride every single day of the week in some way, shape, or form, so we can personalize it to whatever anybody wants to do. What are some of the biggest needs that you have right now? Or what are the, the biggest gaps that you're facing, either in terms of donations or um, just organizational support? So, our, I mean, honestly, our biggest gap is to be more representative of the city of Minneapolis. And right now our group is, a rep- is representative of southwest Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. We are a mostly white, male-dominated group, and that is not the way that we want to be. So our biggest need is to find ways to work with the community, to work with community leaders and people, if it's getting people on bikes, whatever it is, but to, 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 be, uh, to be a representative of the Minneapolis that we at Bikes and Bites and our community feels like it, it should look like. So right now it's just, uh, you know, getting out in front of everybody and trying to get people in here, but also making sure that we are the most inclusive group that we can be and that we're doing the things to, to give everybody the opportunity. And again, strip away barriers uh, to getting people out with us. Mm-hmm. From a physical point of view, donations are always what we're in need of. Uh, I think a lot of times people think, hey, I'd grab you a few things at the store, but I'd hate it if you biked 15 minutes over to my house to grab you know, one small thing of diapers and a thing of wipes. And what we're trying to let people know is, like, not at all. We have people moving everywhere throughout the city. We have community captains. So, if you know, I understand that not everybody can give a lot on a regular basis. But if, if, if all you can get is, you know, one thing of quick oats once every two weeks, like, we want that. You know, we want you to be a part of our community and a part of our organization. So anything, big or small, we're looking for donations. Uh, the one thing that we're not easy to get rid of are cans, canned goods. Um, but as winter approaches, that you know we'll get more of that. But right now, mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely looking for just regular donations all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that the idea of the community captains you mentioned a couple times is is a pretty unique thing. Talk a little bit about how that concept evolved and and how where how it works today. What we noticed is that you know people want to give and they want to buy things, but people mm-hmm. can't afford to, to get this big pile of donations that look mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. So instead of worrying about that or waiting until you can afford three grocery bags or you can get the three grocery bags, you know, if everybody just got two items, but then if we bring those together as a community, and our, our initial thought was like blocks would be more involved where you know, if everybody on the block, every time they went to the grocery store, got one item, that's 20 items to donate mm-hmm. or however many blocks or houses are on a block. Um, probably much more than that, probably more like 40. Um, you know, that's a big group donation. So the intention mm-hmm. was to make these larger community donations, but then also to get people more engaged with their community. A big motivation behind Bikes and Bites was uh, as there was an uprising in our city and everything was happening I was biking everywhere, and as you were going through these different neighborhoods, you were seeing support, you were seeing signs, you were seeing people coming out of their houses, coming together, you were seeing people come on the street corners and putting donations out on the street corners to help their neighbors who needed it. 
creating food shelves in their front yards. But as you biked further and further into southwest Minneapolis, that all went away. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just felt like you entered into a different city, the threat of danger, you know, the community aspect, the signs in the front yards, the signs on people's houses. It was just like you were in a completely different place. So mm-hmm. our idea here was to get our community to be more involved with the rest of the city, but then to also create a community support system in southwest Minneapolis so that we come together and, you know, can say, like, hey, we all are fighting for this thing. Let's be more vocal for people that have been suffering from social injustices for so long in our city and let's support them and let's not be silent anymore because it's comfortable where we are and let's not try to rock the boat and that's the way I can feel here. Um, so part of the community captains was to bring people together to get to know their neighbors, their, you know, other people in their community and see those donations grow as a unit. Mm-hmm. And how far afield from Southwest now has your network of community captains grown? Well, um, we do have some suburban ones, so we've got some out in Egan and Eden Prairie. Um, wow. We've got one in most neighborhoods in Southwest Minneapolis, or South Minneapolis, excuse me. Um, so we're starting to grow Northeast Minneapolis. You know, we're looking um, we're looking to grow throughout, and so we're starting to get community captains everywhere. And then now we're also uh, functioning in St. Paul as well. So we've got some partners in St. Paul who have been collecting for us and some bicyclists in St. Paul and then organizations that we're working with as well over there. So looking to extend over the river as well. That's exciting. And it seems like as you build that network out, you probably are going to end up um, needing to have other central hubs than just your own garage. Yeah, ideally one day it's not my garage. It's everything. <laughs> um, you know, I would like more space to collect more trailers, and it's becoming it's becoming tight real estate in there. So we do, you know, hope to to kind of bump this out, and we also hope to get to a place where um, one thing is uh, we we hope that as people more people get involved, that when the community captain says, "Hey, you know, I'm full. I have no more room. Somebody come take this." That, that's enough to just bring down to an organization. And right now we're mm-hmm. compiling it and sorting it. You know, we're really trying to intentionally grow in a way that, um, you know, you can say, like, this community has this community organization that they're working with. It's the closest thing to you. You know, like, this is their need. Let's fill their needs and get more in touch in our little areas of, uh, of the metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, we would be less reliant on headquarters in my garage. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of how far this can go? I mean, do you not necessarily geographically, but you know, do you have a what's the long-term vision for the for the organization? Uh, our long-term vision for the organization is just to continue to to work with as many other places as we possibly can to continue to cultivate relationships. Um, you know, we plan on biking throughout the winter, so this is not something that we plan on stopping when the snow starts falling. That, you know, it takes a lot of convincing to some people that, that we're mm-hmm. willing to do that, but we've got, I got 10 people right now who have already committed to saying, hey, like, snow isn't going to stop me, ice isn't going to stop me, we'll keep going throughout the winter time. Um, so we're looking to just grow with more organizations, and then eventually we want to get to a place where we can help in more areas where we have bike mechanics on call. So if a community organization is throwing an event, they can call us 
and say, hey, can you come down so people can come get their bikes fixed? Uh, and, you know, look to, to grow in more areas than that. Unfortunately, because of space, like giving out bikes is probably not in our immediate future or any time future. Mm-hmm. future. Uh, and there's other organizations that do that already, and they do it way better than we do. But we're looking mm-hmm. for more opportunities to play a support role in events to say, hey, people are needed. Can you come on down here? Can you help out with bikes in one way or another? And then we also mm-hmm. want to grow to a place where when people think, hey, we need help, uh, that the car isn't always the first place that they look to, that they actually do say, like, hey, are there any alternative ways for how we can move goods throughout our city? That would be, you know, for, for me personally, that would be very satisfying to start to see that mentality shift in that way, that we don't have to rely on people coming in with cars to do things. <laughs> And I'm sure that's going to be, as you pointed out, as the winter comes along, trickier and trickier. But, you know, if you can maintain the mission and get some, you know, rugged uh, cyclists, people who are not afraid to get out there and have a few snowflakes on their shoulders, that's a big deal. And in Minnesota, like, it's not a crazy thing to say, too. You know, right. other cities, they, they wouldn't think that. But, like, I bike to work every single day all year round. I work downtown, mm-hmm. so I'm taking, you know, main arteries down there. And I'm never alone. Even on the coldest days or the snowiest days, there's always somebody that you're seeing and you're waving a nod to. And that's what keeps me motivated is, like, as much as I think, hey, maybe it's just me during the winter, I remember that those people are already out there. We just really have to solve the issue of, you know, what's the safest way to get these trailers around in the winter? And we're working on that now with the tires and sandbags, and we'll figure it out. Luckily, we got a while, hopefully, before we have to figure that out. But, like, the, the, the people who are willing to try we at least know we have that. And so that's really inspiring to keep this thing moving, to make sure we all get this opportunity in the winter to keep this going. Mm-hmm. You, you, it sounds like you've got a wide range of ways that people can get involved, uh, which is really exciting for such a young organization. How do, how do we get people connected with you? How do, how do people learn more? So there's always our Instagram at bikes and bites MPLS. There's our website, bikes and bites MPLS. Dot org, Facebook. Um, you can always email us um, to, to learn more about us. But the best way to learn is to reach out and through any of those ways, DMing us. Uh, there's a form on our website where you can sign up or submit questions or send us an email at bikesandbitesmpls at gmail.com and just say you want to come for a bike ride or you want to donate. Just let us know. Um, you know, if you want to donate, we'll send a bicyclist out to come pick it up. We'd love to talk to you about what we're doing and, and how you want to be involved. Um, but what we really want people to do is, even if it's only for a few miles, come out, take a ride with us, see what we're doing, see what we got going on. Uh, and that, that's really how people can find out more about what we're doing. And we do it very safe. We're uh, believers in masks. We believe in COVID. So, uh, you know, we'll keep our distance. We respect everybody. We respect every, you know, before people come out, I ask them that of like, hey, you know, are you, are you at risk? Well, we should know something. We should keep extra precautions. So uh, we're certainly respectful of other people's health concerns as people continue to come in contact with us in any way, shape, or form. Well, it's, it's been exciting to learn about what you've built, Brian, in a very short period of time, and, and I'm excited to, to get a chance to come out and ride with you myself and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story with our listeners. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate uh, you talking to me, and, uh, yeah, thank you. We'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Have a nice night.